Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is a continuation of the series, Where Is That in the Bible? We were asked a question by some listeners on our Facebook feedback, don't you Catholics have doctrines that aren't in the Bible? And they gave us a list, and on our list was confession. Where is confession? In the Bible. Joining me today, Father Paul Rouse. Welcome, Father. Thank you so much, Peter. Great to be with you. Thank you. And Father Paul is a good friend from a long time ago and um, has been for a long time, I should say. Studies currently at Oxford, although that, that's technically true, isn't it? You're nearing the end of your studies in Scripture? Well, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I'm a student of Oxford, but uh, <laughs> happily living in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> Although you say happily, I would have um, given a small appendage to uh, have spent some time in Oxford at some stage in my life. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, the, the honeymoon period wears off pretty quickly. Once you've seen the pretty buildings, the, the reality sets in. Yes, so when you actually have to do some work, yes. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good to be home is all I can say. Although on a day like today, it's just yeah, great to be home in Sydney. Excellent. Excellent. It is a lovely day. Mm. Let's dive right in. Confession in the Bible. We should start by giving a little bit of background to the topic. Right back in the Old Testament, if we're going to confession, it's not just a one shot. And this isn't the way Catholics do scripture, by the way. We don't just pick one verse and there's our boom answer for everything. That's called exactly. proof texting. And it usually yeah. doesn't prove anything other than that you can yeah. remember a verse. Catholics take the whole Bible as God's word and it's a whole Bible together. And so we listen to the whole uh of the scriptures in the whole of what they're saying to us about a particular topic. Coming right back to the Old Testament, in Leviticus, the sacrifices described in the temple included specific sacrifices for specific sins. And so when a family approached um, the temple with their sacrifices, they would need, need to take the priest aside in the, the outer court and specifically name their sins to the priest and then negotiate the, the penance, the, the sacrifice that was necessary for that particular sin. So the sin offering and the guilt offering would be in accordance with the sins that they believe they had committed or may have committed. They were often quite cautious. And I always joke they took the Clint Eastwood uh, approach to sins. They confessed them all and let God sort them out. <laughs> <laughs> so they basically did, you know, got things off their chest. Like we see in the book of Job, that he would um, offer, he was very righteous, and God acclaims him as being, you know, there is none like him in all the earth. He shuns um, evil and and seeks good. And one of the things he did was he offered a sacrifice just in case, so the, just in case there was sin, that maybe one of his children had sinned uh, secretly, he offered a sacrifice in that case. This gives us a precedent for this, but we also see in the Psalms, we, we see King David and other psalmists talking about confessing their sins to the Lord, and he forgives the guilt of their sin. Now, these were not isolated incidents. Uh, a, lot of, in a lot of my Protestant brethren would like to see these as being David just on a hill by himself confessing to God. But in fact, if you examine the language, it includes the sacrificial language. It includes the fact that he's bringing the sacrifices of confession with a clean heart. He's bringing all of his things with a clean heart. And so the combination of the external um, ritual with the sincerity of his heart is what's necessary to receive the forgiveness that God has 
promised is available. If anyone doubts um, whether or not God forgives in the Old Testament if, through these rituals, go and read Leviticus 1-7, to and the repeated refrain is, and then the priest will atone for their sins, and their sins will be forgiven at the end of each of the sacrifices, especially the sin and guilt offerings. Now, moving to the New Testament, which is much more in the area of um, my guest, we have many references we have to talk about, really, with regards to confession. What would be the first one off the top of your head, Father Paul? Uh, for me, the most important one is is after the resurrection, when Jesus commits the power that he has as God to the disciples, to the apostles, for the remission of sins. So that's John 20. Mm. Uh, he breathes on them. So the Holy Spirit, which features, which is the active power of God in confession, uh, is given to the apostles. So Jesus, who has and is that life-giving body after his resurrection, uh, commits some of that divine power in a very narrow bandwidth so that they can't themselves raise the dead in the same way that he can. <laughs> he, um, but they can forgive sins, which is a spiritual resurrection. Yes. So we think of the think of the effects of sin and think of what sin does to our, our lives and our, our relationships. Uh, there is a renewal that goes on simply by having participated in confession, having received the Holy Spirit. Now, in fairness... Um, Almost everyone listening uh, from a Christian faith, such as Protestants, and I know the brethren, would agree that the forgiveness of sins is life-giving and that it is, in fact, the centre of our Christian relationship with God, that we have sinned, we require forgiveness in order to re rebuild the relationship with God. That's not up for dispute. The dispute is whether or not human beings are involved in the di distribution of forgiveness. In other words, if if human beings have the authority to declare God's forgiveness. Now, that verse you mentioned mm. is crucial in that because mm. um, let's let's take it from the start. God breathed, Jesus breathed on the apostles. Now, the, the times we see breathing is when uh, going right back to Genesis, when God breathes life into Adam. And in fact, if you go to Genesis 1, there's a, the breath of God or the spirit of God hovers over the water. God breathes into creation. This life-giving breath is very much a theme of God's awesome power and creative power. And so when he's breathing on the apostles, he seems to be creating something new. The bit that occurs to me with this is the, the breathing out of the spirit at the cross. And so after the, the sacrifice of the cross, Jesus also imparts the possibility of human forgiveness. Right. Uh, so here you have a repetition, a recapitulation is the word for it, of that same donation of the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose. Hmm. He doesn't come randomly to us. He comes with a particular part of the divine will in mind which he effects. Yes, and, and for those who are language buffs, the, the language of John 20 um, says, when you forgive the sins, now that's an, uh, what's going to be called an arrest, which means it's a, a one-off act. So if you in the action today of forgiving the sins, and then the next line is their sins are forgiven, and that's a perfect passive, which means they're absolutely forgiven by heaven and permanently so. So the, the perfect tense is something that happened in the past and continues to have effect. And so what you have is this one-off action in this ritual of forgiveness ends up having permanent effect. Um, in heaven, and it's a what we call a divine passive. Their sins are forgiven, or have been mm. forgiven in some translations. Now, one thing to note there is that the church and or any of its clergy do not have the authority to condemn in this particular way. So, this particular power that Christ gives to His apostles is to forgive sins or not. 
They don't condemn. They simply withhold forgiveness where it is not warranted. That's a fair point. The the, the retaining of sins is a difficult thing to conceive of, especially when, uh, say, certainly for me as a priest, you always want the person who comes to confession to be assured that they will be forgiven. But the uh, retaining of sins is perhaps suited to occasions when the person isn't ready to receive the gift of forgiveness. Yes, if they show up trying to get pre, pre-forgiven pre for a robbery or if they... If, pre-forgiven, or, or if they're boasting about it. I mean, my, yes. my goodness, people try all kinds of things when, when it comes to their sinfulness. Mm. Uh, people can be quite pleased with how they've gone. But the point is that we, we approach God penitent, a bit, bit like you were saying with the people who go up to the priest who confess an abundance of sinfulness, an right. abundance of their history, to make sure that they don't have anything that God could latch on to and say, look, you need to atone for this. Yeah, it, something that you said there triggered a memory in me. And one, a, priest very early, yeah. <laughs> a priest very early in my Catholic life was saying that they, they try to reflect God's eagerness to forgive. Because God is yes. eager to forgive. Now, um, when we see that in the self-identification of God, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, it's a very bad uh, translation because abounding there means bubbling over, um, completely overflowing with looking for ways to give his steadfast love. And as Pope Benedict uh, said, never be afraid to ask God for what he wants to give you. And since God has literally set up a station and said forgiveness here then what he and the church want to give you is forgiveness and peace in that respect peace with god it, yes and to to develop that point a little further con- confession is the complement to baptism in in the sense that we can be so uh, despondent if we've uh, mucked up our baptism by sinning afterwards here is god being uh, overflowing with his mercy to give us another chance after baptism to obtain the heaven that he has won for us. Mm. Um, There there are lots of ways in which God tries to get to us, and confession is is the second chance, as it were, the repeated second chance. And third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth. (laughs) Right. I always find that, um, and it's worth talking about this, that in the early church, some people were scared of being baptized because they thought that they would sin after baptism and therefore not receive um, salvation. Yes. But confession, of course, is is the way the church has, uh, through Christ's power and Christ's direct command, have deliberately sought to constantly give people forgiveness. Now, one of the things that happens, right. this is very wise of God, of course, because one of the things that happens in your own brain is that we're either too quick to forgive ourselves, oh, we're just being human, mm. or we're too slow. And I've found, I mean, I only uh, as a Lutheran minister, we had confession, but only for a very brief time when I was a Lutheran minister. Um, but I, what I noted in that was that there are more people who can't forgive themselves than people who are easy to forgive themselves, at least the Certainly. ones presenting for confession. Certainly. And one of the things that kept coming up was that we actually need this objective outside affirmation of God's forgiveness um, in order to keep, you know, still our hearts from that that the whispering accusations of, of the evil one. Yes. We, we know this, this is part of the nature of sin, that it, it kind of haunts our memory and our minds until it's dealt with. Uh, so part of the, the richness of God's overflowing mercy is that he wants us to be consoled in forgiveness. 
uh, to to have our minds set at ease. Indeed. So he gives us the gift of forgiveness so that we will move on and live our life. Uh, forgiveness is about our future, yes. merely addressing our past. Yeah, I, I have to say, uh, having lived as a Protestant for most of my early life, I mean, something like 30 years before I became a Catholic, um, I believed in confession to God and I believed in being honest about my sins and asking God for forgiveness. And I believe I was as honest as I could be um, mm -hmm. with God, and I'm certainly a scrupulous person, so I, I was very honest with God. But it's a very different thing to actually say out loud in the presence of God's representative and hear the words of forgiveness back. It's very different. Firstly, it's, it's much, much more difficult. Um, I found that uh, to say it out loud because I had to admit things about myself that I didn't like and I realized I, I had been sugarcoating my own version of myself to some extent but then I had also robbed myself of the liberty that comes with knowing you're forgiven the liberation that comes stepping out of the confessional that was an astounding uh, revelation anyway coming back to the Bible um, where else could we look at? I mean, apart from the very direct reference there, you have the binding and loosing, I guess, in Matthew. Yes, which is the the synoptic or, or uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke complement to what we find in John. But it's interesting; it comes before the resurrection. So, uh, un unlike in John, where it's definitely a, a uh, an Easter gift, mm. forgiveness of sins is part of the ordinary working out of the church in the world that, that she finds herself. So you you have almost at a midpoint in Matthew's gospel, uh, you, you have the power of Christ, again, who alone can forgive sins because he is God, um, committed to a few people. Um, again, it's that narrow bandwidth. It's not Christ never forgives everybody in one hit. He goes after individuals, one person after person, mm. and this means that he needs agents. He needs individuals to help him. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the the important role of the disciples to carry on the same work of Christ. That continuity, I think, is is a massive, massively important part of understanding why mere priests should be involved in the dispensation of a divine gift like forgiveness. Yes. Yes. So. Taking a few other verses, there, there's quite a clear verse in James 5, 16, where he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now, Indeed. to each other, there is a reference to quite possibly the early church and their practice. Um, it was a practice in the early church. We know from historical documents that people would, in fact, confess publicly back in a time when there was, in fact, um, not much, not many secrets. In a, imagine being in a, a town where there were no windows in, in the way that we have sealed windows and everybody knew everybody else's business. The public it confession is. wasn't really a revelation to people. It was a, a public forgiveness which, which revealed that God had forgiven these, these sins and therefore the person was uh, utterly changed and brought back into the community. Right, we we would know that from our own relationships too. That yes, you, that you, a relationship can't really move on until the injustice or the the wrong is righted. Indeed. Uh, so so here, I mean, in in James, you're exactly right that there's if there's public knowledge of sin, then there needs to be public acknowledgement of of that in in some kind of forum like like the uh, forgiveness service that James is talking about. Indeed, and and we see other evidence of that in one John. Um, one nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the confess there is quite clearly in Greek is not just a, um, a murmured prayer to God, and there's a different word they might have used there if that was the case. It's a public confession. It's a pronouncement, if you like. 
Now, mercifully, the church has, in in latter days, reserved confession for a, for a brief, so that your sins can't be used against you, and that your your privacy is maintained, <laughs> and that <laughs> and they've bound the priests so so solidly to silence in that sense that um, the seal of the confessional is inviolable. It's one of the most sacred parts of the church. Now, perhaps if we could talk about that for a moment, Father. Mm. I mean, we've talked about the various uh, human. Uh, elements of confession, and and yeah. it's quite clear that Christ has given authority to his apostles for binding and loosing and forgiving. Um, I, I don't think anyone could read the scriptures and not see that there. But what about the what we might call modern sort of additions to the, the confessional? Because as we said in the early church, the confession mm-hmm. was quite public in some cases where it was appropriate. But here in in the modern world, we have these little boxes. If you go into an old-style church, um, also, by the way, if they kept those boxes, we would um, be protected from all kinds of uh, accusations and problems that might come up. Oh, yeah. It protects the priest. There's no question of that. And, and yeah. protects the person themselves. And, and basically, sure, there, sure. Is, there is still uh, a certain anonymity in the, in the, uh, the box, but basically mm-hmm. it it formalizes the relationship. It sets up the theological reality of the relationship in physical form, that you're not talking just to a bloke. I mean, I've had the situation where I'm very blessed to have a number of priests who are very good friends, and I have gone to confession before I've been going out to lunch or something like that, and somehow managed to come across them in the confessional. And it was quite strange as a young Protestant, Protestant to uh, <laughs> to confess my sins and then go to lunch and and chat over a table. But I'm very blessed with, um, and and my friends tell me that they are blessed with the ability to simply separate those things. Well, yes, I mean, it, um, to a greater degree, we we do. And the more confessions we hear, the the more we forget. Thankfully, yes. I mean, I, I have trouble with people's names and phone numbers, let alone <laughs> things I, I I don't want to remember. Well, or try one old priest to said to me, I, "I'm sorry." This might be hurt your ego, but most people's sins are very boring. Um, <laughs> because yes, yes, sin is so boring. Virtue is much more exciting. Virtue is much more exciting because because we all struggle in similar ways. We all think that the secrets of our yes. heart are so dark that we'll be. And and one of the fears that I've noticed amongst, especially amongst um, uh, atheist friends, is that the priest will use this against me. But to be honest. There's almost nothing that can be used against us in that respect because it's so common that we struggle with these things. Another factor is that I, I often feel embarrassed going back to confess the same thing mm. because, humanly speaking, we will tend to struggle with the same vices through our life or at least through periods of our life. And I remember asking one priest, is, shouldn't I be ashamed of the fact that this is the fifth time I've been back you know, for this, uh, this year? And he, he, he said, well, at least you're not inventing new ones. Was was that consoling, Peter? I I can't honestly say that I've tried that line on people, but (laughs) yeah, I mean that that is something to be grateful for that we're not we're not going further down the path, but but God's mercy is so great that even repeated sin for which we have perhaps less and less uh, contrition for. Uh, would still receive well, this still is be, it. Uh, and the subject of God's forgiveness. This is it. There are many, many places in the Scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, where the psalmists beg God to make them clean in their heart. One of mm, the signs exactly. that grace is working on a person is that they feel guilty. Yes. Now, precisely. people joke about Catholic guilt, and some ex, you know, former Catholics or Blaps Catholics feel very resentful about the fact they feel guilty, but it's actually grace working on them. The very wicked people feel no 
qualms at all about doing great evil. It's those yes, who still exactly have a spark so. of grace in them yes. that can that can, you know, uh, sense that there's something wrong here that needs to be dealt with. That, that they feel that there's a standard they should hold themselves to. Mm. Right. The, the the sure sign of grace working long term is in a sinner's life, as we all are, uh, is deeper and deeper contrition, even for smaller things. Yes. Uh, so even small faults start to become things that we want to root out. That's a good sign. It's not always a sign of scruples. Uh, that can, it can, can be appear the case. Like and, that. and we should be very careful to distinguish between scruples and, exactly. and something that is striving for holiness. Perhaps if we put it in terms of relationship. In relationship with my wife, when I first started, there were big things to deal with because we were two adult lives trying to come together and we had big sort of habits and issues we had to modify in order to live together in harmony. But as mm. we've grown over the past uh, 26 years or so uh, married, the things that we're working on becomes just not so much littler but more and more refined. So we're tweaking much more as we go along so that the the issues um sometimes they're big because they've grown over time but often it's smaller and smaller things and people say oh really that's your biggest problem well at the moment mm -hmm. it is because it's what we're working on yes and i think of um say that the lives of cloistered religious for example by the same token who've worked out the big stuff in their life but the things that they're working on i imagine to be very small uh, you know life can seem bigger when you're in a monastery yes one, one uh, because because little things are thrown priest, up um, said that uh, hearing nuns confessions is like being pelted with popcorn <laughs> that's unkind <laughs> <laughs> Poor nuns, poor nuns. We love the nuns. <laughs> well, it's, it's just that they're so light and um, comparatively. But to be honest, there's yes. there's more joy in heaven, Christ says, when a great yes. sinner repents. So Christians aren't interested in bragging about how small their confessions are or how much they confess. Uh, I'm, mm. I should never be proud that I have things to confess or that I've been to confession yes. because that's all God's work in grace. Mm. But we are absolutely with angels backing us up in the choir rejoicing when someone comes to the confessional and receives the grace of forgiveness it is such right. a wonderful and glorious thing right it's a great moment for a priest too to hear a confession of someone who is genuinely sorry for their sins great or small whatever that looks like it's a real privilege to do and that, because the, the irony it, is is that often the person feels like it's the worst moment that they've hit rock bottom but actually that's one of oh, the most sure. glorious moments no, exactly, because to get to confession, you've already started to turn the corner. Rock bottom was before you went to confession. Uh, so the, the confessional is the first step back towards the life of grace. Indeed. Uh, that means that there's a grace even to get through the door. So it takes tremendous courage, great grace, to even get that far, to sit in the queue and wait. Uh, that's, that's a very special thing. And it shows the incarnational nature of our faith that God has set up in the Old Testament. He set up the sacrifices. And in the New Testament, he set up very clearly institutionally, um, concrete ways for him to look us in the face and say, I love you and I forgive you. Yes, exactly. I, I think of the, the healing of the paralytic, uh, again in Matthew's gospel, and I think in Luke as well, where Jesus simply says to the man to forgive him, to heal him, your sins are forgiven. So there is that deep knowledge of the Son of God, of the plight of that particular person. Indeed. Uh, he's he's assisted by his friends, assisted by the church in, in our case, but always led into the presence of Christ who knows and loves us. Now, of course, we have to talk about penance if we're going to talk about this because penance is a, a sticking point, I know, for the Lutherans when I was with them because it looks like we're working to get our salvation. 
But penance is always assigned uh, as uh, a grace in itself. You are given a penance in order to show your gratitude and to work with the grace which will transform your life. Yes. But it's so, I mean, honestly, I when I first became Catholic, I was so annoyed because the penances I got were so pitiful. As in, <laughs> when the priest says, say, you know, five our fathers, what? <laughs> I was a much bigger sinner than that. How It's like a so, sort of a sin of pride. My sins are worth more than that. Yeah, whereas I used mm. to, out of sheer gratitude for the sacrament, I used to double my penance just in my own head. So as I came out of the confessional, I'd say double what the, the priest had recommended because I felt more grateful, but he, I mentioned this to a priest once and he put me straight back in the confessional for the sin of pride. He said, you are no yes. better. <laughs> you should do what your yes. Lord and Saviour tells you and just take your medicine. <laughs> yes, yes. Your, your sins are not that worthy. That's you're not, exactly you're not worthy right. of great. You're not worthy of great penance, Peter, I can assure you of that. <laughs> so, and, but some of the penances... The idea of penance, we should say, is very clearly in the Old Testament. It's very clearly in the New Testament that when Jesus heals someone, he gives them some kind of cleansing task, you know, go and wash or, um, you know, go and tell everyone or go and sin no more. There's always a go. There's an instruction with go. And yes. the first act of penance is those, are those first steps on that journey. And we'd be fooling ourselves if we think that forgiveness brings an end to the sin or the life of sin in our life. Or the damage you know, that's we, we done. Have to be stri- yes, exactly. I think we have to strengthen ourselves against that weak part of our life which has led us into sin. Yes. So a, a good a good penance, as they say, salutary penance, a healthy penance, healthful penance, will start to repair the damage that we did to our life. Yes. Uh, so the priest might make us say prayers aloud, especially if we've used our tongues in a bad way, say with swearing or lying or something. Exactly. I once went to the to confession to confess that I hadn't prayed in in months, and um, mm-hmm. I really couldn't bring myself to, and I was lazy. And then um, the priest prescribed me the first um, sorrowful mystery, and I had to ask him because I was only a new Catholic. And I said, what's that one? And he said, the agony in the garden. So oh, right. yes. <laughs> meditate on Christ's agony in the garden where the disciples yes. could not pray with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, exactly. So I was- uh, Don't you love me enough to stay for an hour? Indeed. Yes, and yes. it's a glorious reminder, but also a, a chance to be genuinely contrite. You can see, even when with couples, if you have a relationship with a couple and something goes wrong and and- there's some kind of forgiveness if offered, then of course you want to express this newfound intention to to live together in harmony by some sort of act of love, some kind right. of reparative so cele- act. Celebrate the union. Yeah. Exactly. So the re- reparation of the relationship is what it's about. Now, we also talk about the damage sin does in someone's life. And the fact that it takes God's grace to build, rebuild that, you know, fix that damage. Um, so the, the, the stages are get yourself out of the situation, learn how to not sin, but also how to repair the damage that's been done. Often the priest's penance will be very pointed towards um, that kind of thing. So, you know, having trouble with relatives, well, maybe pray for them, that kind of thing. Mm. So it, it's very much based and the entire thing is based around the healing and assurance of God's grace, which he has given us concretely in respect to our sins. A lot of these furfies that are out there are about um, as if it was some sort of power trip for the priest, but most priests I know, um, the only thing they can express about the confessional is either that they're very joyful or that mm. they um, 
they're very sorrowful if people don't, you know, take advantage of it. Certainly. Certainly. I mean, goodness, if, if a priest is ever thinking that he's having a bad day, go and hear confession <laughs> and you'll soon, soon realise that your life is not so bad after all. Um, so too, if you're having a bad day as a layperson or, or as a priest, go to confession yourself mm. and, and just unburden that part of your life. Indeed. Uh, the, the, the growth that comes out of it is, is quite extraordinary. It's a divine revitalization of your soul. Well, it's literally one of the ways in which Christ has very concretely commanded his apostles to assure people of forgiveness and to bring forgiveness to them. Yes. Um, yes. The whole purpose of the church is the forgiveness of sins. We say this in the creed. And we say, I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, literally is built into the constitution, the definition of the church. And the Holy Spirit's action is through that church to forgive all our sins. Right. And it's interesting that that clause of about forgiveness of sins occurs in the last part of the creed, not in the section on Christ, on the second person of the Trinity. Yeah. So that there is sometimes confusion where Christ is thought to forgive every sin for all time for every person who simply asks. Mm. But actually there's that appropriation of forgiveness, of the redemption that needs to take place. And that's through the life of the church, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, for us men and for our salvation, we say, but then the forgiveness comes in through the Holy Spirit's action, yeah. But the, wor Precisely. the work of the Holy Spirit in the creed is literally the church. The, these things come through the church. It's not a mistake that those things go together. Anyway, that's probably a good time to wrap it up. That's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with us, there's plenty more we could have said and should have said, but we don't have time. You can subscribe or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord. Uh, write us a review on iTunes. Also, send us your questions. Whether you agree or disagree, we're quite happy to engage with those questions. Remember, this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast, and we think that's a good idea. So we'll be back next week with more of Where Is That in the Bible? But that's all for now. Thanks for listening to This Catholic Life.